if you have a panic attack, that is life's way of trying to wake you up. That's life's way of trying to wake you up and be like, hey, Mark, you're not actually living the life that you want to be living. You have to get up and become a different person. You're listening to Dialed In, a weekly podcast for business leaders who choose to lean forward, who choose to become the most adaptable to change. We feature leaders you've probably never heard of before, leaders who are insatiably focused, under the radar, and are truly dialed into their purpose. They're on the front lines, in the trenches, building and supporting the growth of billion-dollar companies in the making. My name is Kyle Burt, the founder of CatchCloud.com, a technology advisory firm for lean forward business leaders and also the host of the show. When we're not interviewing these dialed in leaders, I'll be sharing stories from behind the scenes of the business, short lessons learned along the way and actionable insights you can implement today. Let's get dialed into the show. Hey, good morning, LinkedIn. Welcome to Dialed In Live. I'm your host, Kyle Burt. And uh, Today, we have a special guest, Mark Metry, the host of the global top 100 podcast, Humans 2.0, TEDx speaker, featured on Amazon Prime this summer. Uh, give it up for Mark Metry. What's going on, man? Dude, I'm doing an awesome, man. And, and I just found out yesterday that my TEDx talk got canceled. So I don't even think I could call myself that anymore until it happens. So. Well, uh, aspire, let's, let's, say, let's say aspiring TEDx speaker, uh, soon to be. Boom. Soon boom, to be. Boom, so, man. Yeah, but dude, it's so much. It's so good to have you here, man. Yeah, absolutely. Man. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being on the show, man. So, uh, we're gonna get right into the topic. So, Mark, I mean, I mean, you do a lot for the the space uh, around mental health and anxiety. So, we're gonna get right into your topic, which is redefining social anxiety. Uh, we're also launching a book this Saturday, I believe, the fourteenth. Uh, right yeah. there, there it is. Uh, so, so, we're gonna talk about that and. Uh, and, and we want to help some people out. So I, I know that there's a, you know, there's coronavirus scare going on. People are scared <laughs> out there. Um, so uh, what's up, Trevor Houston? Uh, we're going to put the phone up, up on the screen in just a second here. So uh, guys, if you're out there watching, feel free to chime in at any moment in time here. Uh, this is going to be an open forum. Uh, phone number is at yeah. the bottom of the screen here. Uh, 214-856-2389. Right there. There it is. There it is. So, Mark, uh, let's get right into it, man. So, um, let's kind of go not way back, uh, but let's go back to a little bit of the uh, where this anxiety started for, for you and uh, how the self-awareness came that you're able to help other people redefine it. Yeah, man. So, for me, um, you know, I had my own fair share of problems, just like everybody else growing up in life. Uh, for me, when I was like 8, 9, 10, I ended up moving to... Uh, the school outside of the city, a uh, super small town. And uh, my parents had immigrated from Egypt at that time. And uh, great town, but in this town, zero diversity. And so, um, like, as a young kid, definitely had my fair share of racism, uh, bullying. And then also, I began to develop physical health issues that really just put a, a, a damper on my energy. And so, this happened to me when I was like 9, 10. And it really just like, built this mindset, this mentality in me up until I was 18 of just like, don't talk to anybody, put your head down, don't speak up, uh, nobody likes you, just a lot of that. And so when I was 18, I go off to college, I, uh, I realized that I had social anxiety because up until that time when I was kind of going through this as a kid and kind of stuck in my own bubble, I had no idea what social anxiety actually was. I thought that there was just 
something really wrong with me <laughs> that there was I, was I was some moral failure right and right so you when mean, i you don't want to come out and be like and just it's it's not common practice to come out and be like hey i have social anxiety right like it's not something that you you just don't come out and say that especially yeah uh, right especially in the times we were living in now it's like it seems like it's more acceptable now right and it's it's be, good being vulnerable but you know back then you know you're suffering alone, right? You, you don't think that anyone else has that issue because you don't know. Yeah, man. And it's, it, it's such a big problem. And, you know, on a bigger note on mental health, it's like, you know, you can see if someone has a broken leg, you can see if someone is attached to like some heart machine or something like that, but you don't see anybody's brain. And so that's like one big note. And then, you know, number two, it's like, there's so much um, misunderstanding around this topic of like, is being shy the same thing as being an introvert? Is it the same thing as being quiet? And I talk about this in my book, and it's like being an introvert is a personality trait. It has nothing to do with whether you are shy to speak up to people or not. However, people who are more introverted are much more prone to this issue. And then, you know, it's also totally okay and natural to be shy every once in a while. You know, sometimes you walk into an event where you don't know anybody and you're kind of shy for like the first five minutes, like that's totally normal. But there are certain people where they are shy all of the time and they are shy all the time in every situation, in all days they could be talking to, whether it's a stranger or even a friend of theirs and be shy. And what happens is if you continuously move that approach, your mind and your body form a feedback loop where they're stressing each other and activating each other's nervous systems. And so what happens is you do that, then you develop social anxiety after a while. And social anxiety is the most common form of an anxiety condition in America. And so when I was kind of looking at the data, there's a massive misconception because I remember growing up as a kid, whether it was teachers or my parents or whoever, they would just say, oh yeah, Mark is just the shy kid. He's just the quiet kid in the back. But yet people don't know that you're actually suffering and you want to talk to people, but your brain doesn't let you. And so when I was kind of writing this book, what really made me be like, damn, I have to write this is social anxiety is correlated to substance abuse disorder and social isolation, both of which are correlated to suicide, which kills 850,000 people a year and substance abuse and all that stuff is even more. And so when I was kind of taking a look at this issue, and kind of looking at the market of like other books and like the self-improvement world's entrepreneurship, I don't really see anybody like speaking to people in this group that affects so many. And I went through it and now, you know, for sure, I might be socially anxious like 1% of the time now, 2% of the time, but it used to have like a 99% grip on my life. And so I was able to walk out of it. Um, through a lot of hard work and, and learning from other smarter people than myself. And so that's why I wrote this book. And that's why I released it. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm not right. I'm not writing this book. I'm not releasing it to work out my brand. You know, like I'm, I'm releasing this, I'm, I'm making the audiobook for free. And it's just trying to spread this message out there because it affects so many people. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, if, if I, I mean, that's, that's incredible, man. If I think about my personal journey with it and my awareness of it, like I'll go through periods of time where like, I'll, I'll be like maybe uh, two weeks or, or like a week or two, like just in the office, closed door, like, don't talk to me. I don't want to, I don't right. want to see anybody. I'll do podcast stuff, but I don't want to like be in big crowds. And then, <laughs> but then like I get, 
I get like uh, the opposite of that. I'm like, I got to get the hell out of this box and I got to go out to these conferences and go out and meet people. Like, I, I, I'm, I feel like, I, you know, that's probably most of us, right? Like we want to be yeah. both at, at some point. So like, yeah, for sure, man. And yeah, and for sure. And I think, I think like, um, again, it's like, it really just depends if like you are an introvert, if you're an extrovert, if you're both. And like, you know, just to back up here, like an introvert is defined as someone who is predominantly focused on their internal world, on their thoughts, emotions, feelings. Extroverts are people like where their brain is the opposite of that, where they're focused on the external world. They're looking at like the curve of that shape. That's how their brains work. But you could definitely be both. But like where you get to a point where like you start to put up boundaries on your life because you're like, oh, I don't really want to talk to people or like, I, like whenever I talk to people, like my throat clenches up, my mind start, starts racing, my palms, my armpits start sweating. That's when it like actually becomes a problem. But like being an introvert is totally normal and healthy. Like I'm an introvert, but I also am super social and I love talking to people. I love speaking at events. I love talking to big groups of people. And so I'm definitely both in that same sense. But there are people who seem like they're very social on the outside when in reality they're just working super hard to try to manage their social anxiety and a lot of people will go towards things like whether it's drugs or alcohol like they go to an event the first thing they go to is they go to the bar and they get a drink because alcohol is a social lubricant right right um, that is not like by any means like a healthy medicine for you or whatsoever um but uh but yeah and so i'm it's such an interesting topic, you know? And so I think some percentage of the population doesn't really experience this. Probably the minority uh, of people experience this. And like, I believe the statistic is 10% of adults in America have social anxiety. And then I believe that number is like 40 to 50% of kids. And so, and, and you how, know, and you know, how, how, how accurate could that number actually be? Because, you know, how do you define social anxiety, right? Like, how do you, how do you define that? How do you run a survey on that? Like, are you asking me if I'm socially, socially anxious? I'll probably tell you no, right? Because right. it seems like a negative thing. Like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want that. It sounds like a disease, right? So right. I don't, yeah, want, I don't want to claim that, right? So there's a, there's that negative connotation around that. For sure. And I mean, if you, if you asked me when I was 17, if I had social anxiety, I'd be like, no, I don't. Because I didn't yeah. even know what it was, right? <laughs> and so I right. think for sure that that data is, um, you know, like every data, every every kind of piece of data can be, uh, I guess, skewed. Um, skewed, manipulated. Right. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, for sure, uh, a lot of people uh, experience this, and and some people, you know, the the according to the statistics I have from the um, American Depression and Anxiety Association, they say that the onset of social anxiety usually happens when you're 10, 11. Uh, it could happen later in life. And then it usually takes people up to 10 years to realize that they have social anxiety and they go and seek help for it. And so like, again, like to me, the reason why I'm so passionate about this is of course I lived through it and nobody really understands it. And so I'm trying to be a voice for that. But mm -hmm. then also like, you know, I think there's a lot worse problems to have in your life than having, than being socially anxious. But I think it's probably one of the worst problems somebody could have because like I, I think it's very hard to um, have long lasting success in your life if you can't communicate to other people. And like the big thing with social anxiety is 
it's not just about what you do in, in front of other people. It's not just the fact that you're shy or you're nervous to speak. It, it can actually also be defined as an excessive need to manage your self-image. And so that's why you see a lot of people who have social anxiety begin to enter and get other issues in their lives, whether it's substance abuse or whether it's social isolation and whether it's depression. And so I think it's, it's like a big issue that eventually leaks out into every single area of your life before the fact that you're aware of it and control it. And so it's a, in my opinion, it's sort of a meta major issue around this globe because again, yeah, like, a, cause and effect relationship to everything else, to your confidence level. And then that confidence level now uh, presents itself to like, are you going to be successful in, in your business? Right. Are you, are you selling enough or are you doing this enough? Right. So yeah, it's just like dominoes. You know? For sure, for sure, man. And and I think probably the, the biggest thing is that um like like I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist, right? I'm such an optimist. Like I think that all the problems going on in the world right now, I think they can definitely be solved and I think they will be solved. I think it'll definitely take a while. Sure. But I think that like every problem, whether it's like some startup or some lab or some group of scientists or some group of inventors. I truly believe we're going to solve all the problems. And of course, there's always going to be new problems. So it never, it's never going to end. Course, yeah. but, it, but it's like, but what I'm thinking is like people who are socially anxious, how are they going to communicate in those startup teams, in those laboratory teams, if they can't even speak? And so a lot of people that have social anxiety, and I think a lot of us too, even if you don't, you'll try to put up some sort of a, like a mask some sort of identity that you can be known as to people, like whether it's being the, the funny guy or the smart guy, when in reality right. that might not even be you. And keeping up with that identity is so uh, draining. It drains your energy completely. And so I think like, you know, everyone's talking about like how to be authentic, how to be your authentic self and stuff, whether it's in a meeting or a boardroom, it's like social anxiety has a major, major piece to play about that. So it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Let me ask you a question that spawned. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff there to unpack, but uh, from mm -hmm. one introvert to another introvert, because uh, I, I align with you there. Do you find it difficult to go into social settings and um, do like small talk? Like, oh, how's the weather today? And, oh, did you see the sports, uh, the sports uh, game yesterday? And like, uh, you know, oh, shit, my heart. Um. <laughs> do, you, do, you find, do you find that? Do you find that a little, little challenging? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't, I can't really do small talk, man. I don't, uh, like, I don't do, like, I'm the guy, I'm the guy who walks in and everyone's talking about, like, the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm just like, yo, do you guys hear about, um, there's this new helmet that you can put on. And if you have dementia, it, like, helps your neurons work better. Like, you yeah. know, I'm just that person, <laughs> yeah. like. You know, I'm, I'm so with you there. And then, and then, you know, uh, most of the people in the room are just like, huh? But what about the game? <laughs> right, right. Exactly, dude. And, and that's why I love social media, right? Because, like, when I go to an event or I meet people who already know me, yep. there's no small talk. They already know, like, what it is I talk about. They can, like, reference things. We can get into that deeper conversation, like, much, much easier, quicker right. off the bat. And so, um, yeah, but no, but I, I absolutely hate small talk. Do you, like, think, do you think there's a correlation with uh, introverted people and podcasting? Because, like, I feel like podcasting for me allows me to go into these deep conversations like this. Like, this is where I, I live for this these conversations, man, like 
this is what I try to emulate in my life. I start trying to surround myself uh, with people that we can have these conversations. We can go deep on topics and not just surface level stuff like, like, hey, Mark, uh, so what do you do? Like, let's get beyond, <laughs> that. Let's get beyond that, right? And then go deeper. Like, that, that's what I want to get to. So is there a correlation between introverted and positive? I would assume that there is. But yeah, you- for sure. I think there is. I mean, for me, like, I remember when I was first starting out on my journey, a big part of why I started a podcast was to do uh, exactly what you said. Um, and then I, I mean, I think there's also a big correlation between just success in general and also introversion. Like I think it's two out of three leaders are introverted. And so um, I think there's definitely a correlation with that too. But yeah, I mean, but I mean, the thing is, is that like, I actually, like me being still an introvert, I still like love doing in-person podcasts, like one-on-one yeah. with people, yeah. you know, like that. That is awesome, you know. So I don't. So for sure, I think people introverts can use like the digital I, world I, I as a think, bridge. I think people. I think people don't fully understand introvert extrovert. I, I think. I think we don't fully understand introvert extrovert as a society, right? Mm, you, think, you think of introvert, you think, oh, that guy's just like in, in a dark room on his computer, typing away all day, like coding. That's not necessarily an introvert. Right. Um, no. probably, but that's not the full definition of an introvert. Like you said it earlier. What was the full definition that you gave? Yeah. An introvert is someone predominantly focusing and putting their energy in the internal world. And then that's where they get their energy from, too. And so right. um, I think you need bouts of that. Right. Like everyone's different. Um, yeah. Nobody really knows if like introversion or extroversion is like it's like 100 percent or zero percent. Like there's right. a. There's like that whole ambivert thing, which is like you can be both. I think I definitely am too. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, like again, it's like these are not good or bad. These are just like personality traits that are basically fixed into who you are. And like people who are introverted might be prone to being shy and to maybe develop and have like social anxiety as a problem because it's like it's just more likely versus extroverts. But it definitely is not the same thing. Like I'm, I'm a pretty social guy. Like other than I'm, other than like me, doing like a podcast like this, I'm like always with people, and I get energy from that, you know. But if I'm if I'm in like a crowd of 400 people all the time, then no, that would be terrible. And so, and like to your point before, I think you have to go through seasons. And so for me, like I'm just getting out of the season of like writing this book, like hustling, hustling, hustling spending long hours kind of like editing and writing and doing all this stuff. And then ideally March was going to be my season to like go out and and speak and present it. And so I think we definitely need to have seasons. Yeah, Yeah. but I guess not. (laughs) not, Corona Corona scare. Um, Hashtag everything's canceled is what's trending, right? So um, Deepak has a question. Thank you, sir. He said, uh, can a person outgrow social anxiety? And uh, do you see it diminishing uh, in you as you age? It's a really good question. Yeah, that's an awesome question, man. So, so, so for this book, right, the subtitle is uh, "Learn How to Manage Social Anxiety and Be Yourself in Front of Anyone." The original subtitle was going to be um, "Learn How to Eliminate Social Anxiety." And when I was talking to you know some of my much smarter like psych- psychologist friends and, and neuroscientist friends, they were like. It's hard to argue, like for even for me, like being in someone ingrained in self improvement and self development. I think it's hard to argue that you can eliminate a problem from your life one hundred percent 
but I think that you can really shift the tide and like you can go from social anxiety controlling 95% of your life to it maybe affecting just 5% of your life. And so it's absolutely manageable. But the, you know, the big thing is that like when I was doing my research and I was reading a ton of other books on like social anxiety, building your confidence up, all that stuff, a lot of them were just basically giving hacks and tips on how to network better. And like the matter of the fact is, is like people who are genuinely afraid of talking to others, they need a lot more than just positive thoughts in their brain. And so like in my book, I talk about biochemistry as a major foundation to build software because like the way that I think about the world is this. So your thoughts, your mindset, um, your, your beliefs, um, that's the software, right? So like if you compare that to like an iPhone, that's iOS, right? And so our hardware is our body. Our hardware is the biological organ that our mind is housed in, which is the brain. Right. And so a lot of these books, they don't even touch on that. And so what I kind of figured out is like, if you're trying to take the world's best software and you're trying to install that on like an iPhone 2, it doesn't matter how great the software is, you need to update that hardware. And so for me, I think a major piece of social anxiety and of really kind of recovering from it and giving your body the raw resources to grow from it at a biochemical level is so foundational that not a lot of people quite frankly touch on and even even the broader kind of mental health community, but yet it's so, so powerful. And the rest of the world is just trying to, they're trying to think their way to success, but I don't really think you can do that. So interesting. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense, man. Like uh, if you think about, I'm in the tech space, right? So you think about uh, you're correlating the software to uh, the mental state and the phone itself to the body. And, and it makes sense because whenever, you know, um, whenever I go through periods of sadness or like, you know, everyone, everyone goes through these ups and downs. Yeah. And, uh, what always fixes it right away is I go to the gym or I go outside and I go for a long run. And like instantly after that, like, I'm just like, I'm pumped. I'm like, let's go. Like, you know, crush it memes, all those stuff come, come flying out. <laughs> like, let's, let's go do it, right? Like that's just from like even 30 minutes of exercise because like, as you said, like the, the hardware is hardwired to the software in that sense, um, you know? So you- For sure, man. You need and to I think upgrade one, uh, to, you need to upgrade both of them, right? But you can't, like you said, you can't have the latest iOS in um, version two, iPhone two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you got to upgrade both of them and they, they both work on a feedback loop that help each other. But honestly, like the biggest thing to focus on, in my opinion, is like, yeah, exercise is awesome. Exercise is super good for you. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, it's a subsection in my book. But like speaking of computers, it's like our, our brains, we are not computers. We are, we are highly advanced uh, meta computers. And so like the way that our hardware rebuilds itself right like our hardware rebuilds itself yeah like, like you can't like a, if you get a computer like a computer is not going to switch out its hard drive by itself right like it's got to rely on other people but our bodies they do that yeah and uh, so it really it's, called, it's called autophagy right so the, to, to eat mm. itself especially when you're fasting or intermittent fasting i went on a three-day water fast recently and nice. you, you get into autophagy which like your cells are actually like your your, your bad cells you are eating your good cells are eating the bad cells essentially. Right. So, um, and you heal, it's, it's incredible what the body can do, you know? 
Dude, that's exactly it. And like that, that's one too, but it's just like, if you think about it, ever since you're born, ever since you're like your mom gives birth to you, you have the organs, like you have the body. And then after that, it's just you. You're constantly regenerating. You're constantly building. And the main thing that your body's building your body out of is what you put in your mouth. That's the number one thing. Yep. Like that literally you are, you goes. What you, eat. you literally are what you eat. Yep. Literally, you are what you eat. And then on top of that, it's like, like in my book, I, I go in deep into um, like the scientific literature that talks on if you eat the American standard diet, which is a diet filled with processed foods, junk foods, uh, soda, a lot of alcohol, no vegetables, nothing nutrient dense you have a much, much higher chance of becoming depressed, becoming anxious, having an inflamed brain. They show that you have a much smaller hippocampus, which is the part of your brain that um, is responsible for memory, motivation. And so a lot of these things, um, especially in terms of food, are so important in terms of mental health. And yet I remember in school, the one thing that I learned was like, yeah, if you eat too much food, you'll gain weight. That's like the only thing I heard on right. food. Nobody said anything about the quality, all that stuff. You know, there was like that whole USDA f- food pyramid and, and all this stuff. And so it's such a big topic, but I think if someone really wants to like begin to heal their brain, like if you want to make new brain cells, if you want to um, have your brain build new neural pathways on top of the ones that have always existed, you need to give it the raw resources. You need to focus on your brain. You need to focus on your brain health. And one of the biggest ways to do that is with food. And so much of the food that we put in our bodies that we don't even know actually inflames our brain. So things that, um, um, some, so again, there's no such thing as universal healthy diet, but, um, but a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, grains are inflammatory to people. A lot of like breads that people eat, not specifically because of bread, but just because Bread is probably like the most common food in the world. And so companies will put in a ton of fillers, preservatives, all this stuff. You go to any grocery store in America and you take a box, you take a container and you flip the ingredient list. It's like an essay. It's like an essay of ingredients. Oh, it is. You're, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was 25, uh, I learned that uh, I could no longer eat bread. So I, mm. I was no longer eat gluten. Um, when I was younger than that, my mom, uh, put me on, uh, um, um, acne medicine called Accutane. Mm-hmm. Come to find oh, out, God, uh, dude. come to find out years later, you can look, look up the <sighs> lawsuits with, regarding that. Um, yep. I, I think that, I think that destroyed, that destroyed my stomach in ways that I don't, I, I, I didn't even know, but, uh, essentially I can no longer eat bread. So like, I know that for a fact, just from my scientific, uh, uh, experiments so i can no longer eat bread so i stopped and i'm fine now like but like it's 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 crazy like all the things like the the pharma industry all this all these things kind oh of tie into each other man so you gotta got get it's of it of what, of what dude, it's crazy man it's crazy dude i mean i was on drugs for the first 18 years of my life man and, and on top of that i was always eating junk food so it's like i've been rebuilding so much like the last few years and i've i've experienced like amazing results and i think that it really helps you create like a baseline right so like i don't like ever since like i really fell down my rock bottom like four years ago 
I haven't really been depressed. I haven't really been anxious. Like for sure, sometimes in some moments, I'll feel like micro expressions of that. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I won't have a great week, but like at but like at a baseline level, like I have improved so much, and I really think a big part of that is, of course, like the thousand things that I do, and I'm always trying to learn. But I think a major part of that is because I eat clean like 99.9% of the time. And like a lot of people will look at that and they'll be like, man, like, you know, you're depriving yourself or like, wow, you know, you have so much discipline that you're doing that. I actually don't, I don't look at that. I don't look at it that way because the craziest thing is like when I stopped eating junk food, when I stopped eating things that come from scientists and factories and manufacturers, my taste buds have gotten way more vibrant. Like now when I eat a piece of fruit, I'm oh, like, yeah. this is yes. way better than ice right? cream. Right? Way better. Like you, you bite it's into a, a crisp green green apple after like being like sugar free for even like a week. It's like, wow, that, that tastes like a Jolly Rancher sometimes, you know? <laughs> literally, literally. And, and and then on top of that, it's like this, man. Like I, I talk about this study in my book where they did brain scans of yeah. people who were addicted to hard drugs, crack, cocaine, heroin. And they did brain scans of people who consumed a lot of junk food their brain scans and their gray matter was literally the same yeah and so when i look at that it's like it's the biggest thing man and like you know personally for me i never really got into drugs or alcohol growing up because my parents told me to just not do that stuff and i never really did but um but for me like my real drug of choice was food and so like there's this there's this section in my book it's called first my gut broke and then my brain broke and I talk about the time in, when I was in college where I was suicidal for the first time in my life. And like the months leading up to that, I was binge eating a ton of food because I had so much pain around me. And I was using food as an emotional response. And so I gained like I was over 200 pounds. And then I also got super depressed, suicidal. And so I think there's a, an insane correlation between um, the food that we put in our gut microbiome and our mental health that I think is really, um, you know, like this, this stuff is, has really new over like the last 10, 15 years. And so especially, um, like mental health, like there's a emerging field of science called, um, nutritional psychology. And it's just like, it's so important because this is actually like the 80% that you can give to someone and they'll actually be able to change a lot of other areas in their lives. Because when someone stops eating that stuff, one, they're not as uh, compulsive, they're not as impulsive. And a lot of these companies, a lot of these processed foods, they put in stuff in there, whether it's sugar or whether it's other stuff to get you to be addicted. And so our brains are being literally hijacked by a lot of these billion dollar companies that don't really care about us and just care about like, the end of their quarter so they can sell more stocks to their investors. And that's just the way that the world works. And so there's a lot of good food companies out there now, thank God. But, um, but yeah, I think food is probably one of the biggest areas that someone can start in. Oh yeah, no, no doubt it is. Um, and uh, a qu quick shout out. Hello to, to Margaret, Marco, Samantha, Rama, and Preeti. Um, Rama says, What's talk up, about Rama says, talk about the difference between anxiety and panic, the steps you can take to prevent panic and be prepared. So yeah. panic attacks. So, yeah, so this is it. So, so panic attacks happen for two reasons. Uh, number one is um, number one is biochemical, and then number two is 
you know, I really believe that if you have a panic attack, that is life's way of trying to wake you up. That's life's way of trying to wake you up and be like, hey, Mark, you're not actually living the life that you want to be living. You have to get up and become a different person. And so for me, like I remember growing up, I would always have those. And I think those are really ways the universe can push you. The other side of the coin is biochemical. And so what I'm talking about is, um, like, for example, they've done studies that show people who consume a lot of sugar, when their blood glucose level crashes, their body enters into a state of emergency, which requires our chemistry to do a wide variety of things. And one of those is to give ample amounts of energy to your brain to panic. And so if you're eating a lot of sugar, that's very fast form energy. And so when your body processes that in like a second, it uses all that energy for mental thoughts. Boom, 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 boom. And so I think one half of panic attacks is life trying to wake you up. And that really requires you to um, understand the truth of who you are, uh, not lie to yourself, which is a major chapter in my book. And then also just like understand your relationship with pain. I kind of hinted about this before of me binge eating and trying to deal with my emotions with food. But based on how you deal with pain will determine how you live your life. So for example, like I, unfortunately I get an email every once in a while from someone who says, Hey Mark, I have a lot of anxiety. I'm panicking all the time and I can't go to sleep at night without having a drink of alcohol because my body literally won't let me. And so like, that's an example of you in your life using alcohol as a way to deal with pain. And alcohol is probably one of the worst medicines because it kills a lot of people. If you drink it excessively, it builds a tolerance in your physical body. It's just not good. And it's like, it's like the third leading cause of death in America. And so if you use, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whether it's like every time you're pissed off, you're like, Hey, I'm going to, um, Go find, a, go find a chick to sleep with or I'm going to go watch porn or I'm going to go watch Netflix. All these things, we build relationships with them our entire lives to deal with pain. And a lot of them, especially if we don't think about it, are usually not healthy. And so we will be engaged in this feedback loop with pain and what will happen is due to some malfunction, our body and brain is going to stress the hell out and it's going to go into an emergency response because it's near its limit. It's telling you like you cannot keep drinking alcoholic. And so I, for things like that, I think um, you definitely have to seek professional help for sure. Absolutely. Like, um, thank God, like I, aside from food, I haven't really had like an addictive uh, problem at a physical level. And so I think if you can kind of understand panic attacks from that side of the spectrum and then also from the biochemical perspective, because it is very much true. There are people who have their lives figured out, but yet they have panic attacks because they're not giving their body the right nutrients. They're putting the wrong kinds of like bad fats and oils and over-consuming sugar and all these things and alcohol or some other drugs. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty complicated question. It really depends on the individual, but I think those are two areas to start off with. Yes. Yeah. So in essence, uh, just like, just like anything in life, right. Your body's going to be talking to you. Uh, when you put something in your mouth immediately, like for me to know that I can't eat gluten, when I put gluten in my mouth, I immediately feel sick. Your body's trying to tell you things. So if you have, if you have a panic attack, your body's trying to tell you 
to wake up, like you said, right? So that that you're that you need to wake up and reevaluate things here. So yeah, just, and 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 that's not to, that's not mainstream advice, you, you know. Have, like, so how, how do you how do you actually what's the journey of like getting in tune with yourself to actually understand that? I know my personal yeah. one, but what about your personal journey with like how do you actually get in tune with that? How does somebody who, um, you know, starting from wherever they are, like how do they get to this place where they're in tune and they can pay attention to those signs? Yeah, so I'd probably say three things. Uh, number one, you need to realize that like whatever you're experiencing is not actually the problem. That is the symptom. That is the surface area of a signal or a, or a message that your body's trying to send you into a bigger underlying deeper issue. And so in my book, like the first chapter of my book is called social anxiety is not your problem. And so what I talk about is the reason why some people are socially anxious is it's actually a response. It's a, a response to psychological trauma. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I talk about psychological trauma, a lot of people think that this, this only exists for people who have been like molested or assaulted or some really extreme thing. The matter of the fact is, is psychological trauma has happened to every single one of us. And it can be defined as, you know, when you're a kid, something happens in your life that you don't know how to deal with. Something happens and your brain doesn't know how to process it. And so what happens is your nervous system stops right then and there until it figures it out. And so what will happen is like, let's say, for example, your trauma is the fact that you didn't even see your parents and you grew up and your parents were always at work and you didn't even have a relationship with them. Well, you might end up you know, developing like social isolation related trauma to that or social anxiety. And then what will happen is like, 10 years later, even let's say if you do build a good relationship with your parents and you hang out with them, 10 years later, next time your body maybe feels like it was in that environment before in your life, like maybe you're alone in your house, it'll trigger your nervous system to go into a fight or flight response. And so someone will kind of keep entering into these feedback loops in their lives and not know them because it's so deep rooted into your brain. It's like the analogy of trying to take like a square shape with like a circle hole and you're just trying to put it in, but it doesn't fit. You just keep on trying to do that. And so that's number one. And so you always need to be looking at the root cause. Number two is you need to understand a little bit of neuroscience. You need to understand the science of how our existence actually works. The fact that like a lot of us believe our brains, a lot of us believe whatever thoughts, whatever ideas our brain has. And the matter of the fact is, is our brain, like I said before, is a threat-seeking meta supercomputer organ that has evolved through thousands of years to get us to survive, not to keep us happy. And so our organ will emit anywhere from 25,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Some of these thoughts are conscious. You know you're thinking of them. Some of them are unconscious and you have no idea that you're thinking them. And yet it's like, if you look at a movie script of like a character and what they're saying, that's what it is. That's the script that runs our entire lives. And so a major piece is like understanding the science behind that and be like, wow, I actually don't need to believe every thought. And then you look into more into it and it turns out our brain, the way that our brain has, has been successful for so long is it's created these things called cognitive biases and distortions. Okay. 
the way that I talk about this is like, you know, the same way that like if you're on a if you're on your computer and you want to copy and paste something, you can go to a word, you could hover over it to your mouse, you could right click it, you could hit copy, you could go to the other document, right click it, hit paste, or you could just hit Control C and Control V, a shortcut to do what you want to do much faster. Our brain has these for almost every single one of the problems of our lives. Scientists estimate there's anywhere from 60 to over 200 of these cognitive biases and distortions. There's, there's one of these for everything. Like for example, the most, the most famous one is probably the negativity bias of like, if you hear people tell you 10 pieces of feedback and nine people tell you positive things on how you're great, but then one person says mostly positive things when they say one negative thing. Your brain is gonna focus on that, on that negative thing naturally because that is more valuable information for survival to your brain. There right. are so many examples of this that I could go into, but essentially all of these construct our lives. All of these construct the reality, the moving pictures and videos that we see from our eyes every single day. And so that's two. And number three, is there's a section in my book called Truth is the Chiropractor of the Mind. And what it's talking about is this. So truth is like the same way, go back to the body. Like the truth is essentially our skeletal system. It is what holds up everything the way things should be working in reality. If you are lying to yourself or if you're lying to other people, that distorts it. It's no longer going to be a solid skeletal system. It's going to be all weird. And so what I'm talking about is this. So every time that you lie to someone, essentially what you're doing is, like let's say you ask me a question. You say, hey, Mark, you know, did you eat an apple today? I don't know for the sake of this example. Right, right, right. And, I, and I'm like, and I'm like uh, you know, I'm trying to be cool. I'm like, yeah, bro, I ate a green apple, right? And so in that moment, I just lied. I didn't, I didn't eat an apple. Because one, I probably want you to think that I'm cool. So I'm just going to lie and go with whatever you say. And also on top of that, what I just did there, Kyle, was I took the real version, the real truth, authentic version of myself. And I took that and I said, okay, that's not that important. And I just threw it to the back of my life. And I just created a fake version of myself. And I just put that to the front of my life. You do that so many times, you're not even yourself anymore. You are now living in this distorted, not authentic reality that you may not even be aware of yet. And what will happen is you will become disassociated from your life. Because you're not actually living your life, you're going to become disassociated, which means you're not going to be motivated. You're not going to try. Why would you try to change anything about your life if it's not even yours? This story is like the story from Pinocchio. This, this wooden boy. This puppet is created into a real boy. This fairy comes and tells him like the rules of life. And then he starts lying. And then his nose gets bigger. And that is meant to show like every time you lie, you are physically changing reality in a not so great way. And then like the way the Pinocchio story lays out is um, eventually he goes on this route even more and more and more. And then he becomes a donkey. Like he literally grows ears. All his friends turn into little donkeys. And it's like a meta lesson that was made by Disney to tell people like, 
when you lie, you are changing the physical structures of reality and your mind itself. And so when you hear that, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so for yeah. me, like I remember a major part of my journey was like, I didn't even know who I was because I was lying to myself. And people who have social anxiety are much more prone to lie, not necessarily because they're more dishonest, but because they're more afraid of what people are going to think about them. And so they just try to say it in the moment to just try to like be positive, I guess, but it's, it's, it's delusion, it's lies. And so like number one is like if you sit down with yourself and you kind of think about these things and – and you kind of, whether it's you pull out a piece of paper and you ask yourself, like, what are the biggest lies that I have said? Then, you know, it, it, in the first five minutes, the logical part of your brain is going to tell you like, oh, yeah, you know, you lied about this thing last week. You lied about that thing. But it's not actually the deep truth. But if you're able to, like, sit down for an extended period of time, no distractions, no phone, you kind of sit down, you're in the right area of your life emotionally where you where you want some change. That could be a super powerful exercise for someone to do and to really realize because it's like you like again, you could you could eat the best diet, you could have the best exercise program, you could have the best friends, you could have the best business. But if that is not built on a foundation of truth, it doesn't matter. You're screwed either way. <laughs> wow dude wow you, you said uh, you said a lot there man um that, uh, very mind-blowing very mind-blowing things man crazy so uh <laughs> i mean it, it does resonate I, I could see how you know i I've, I've been in situations and times where like um in the past where somebody basically like uh assumptively closed me on like an idea that um you know that was was about me but and i didn't correct them right so th that sort of thing happens. I mean, that is a lie, right? Because you didn't correct them. Right? Dude, I'll tell you. I, yeah, I'll give you a different example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great one. I'll give you a different example too, right? So, so you could also lie to yourself, which is much more common in the sense of this. So usually everything in life starts out with us doing it to other people, and then eventually we start to do it to ourselves all the time. Like an example right, of this right. is like, you're you're a student, you're a kid in a classroom, and the teacher asks like, hey guys. Does anyone here know when World War I started? And then so you're in your brain and you're like, oh, well, I just watched a documentary last night that said World War I started in 1914. And then a different part of your brain will be like, uh, you were kind of sleeping during that documentary. How do you even know? Like, you're not even a smart guy. Your memory sucks. Like, you don't really, like, you don't really get these answers right. And then what you'll do is you'll literally talk yourself out of saying the right thing by trying to prove yourself wrong. And then someone else raises their hand and like, yeah, it was in 1914. You're like, damn it. And so we'll lie to ourselves, whether it's to ourselves or to other people. And like lying is implicated in so many mental health problems. And even on top of that, like I was interviewing um, Harvard professor David Sinclair on, uh, he wrote this book called uh, Lifespan. It's all about longevity. How do you, um, how do you live a long time? And he was telling me like, he dropped like five quick facts or like five quick things that people can do to improve their lifespan and i believe number four on the list was don't lie it was say the truth and it's like when you are just living your life in the truth one your brain is not as stressed out because you're not trying to remember all the different lies and all the different paths that you've created to i mean i guess manipulate people um and so it literally makes you live longer too and so there's so many different ways that can kind of go into this and i think today 
like we've sort of lost touch with that because like you can say anything you want to on the internet now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like unless you're yeah, super you big, nobody's going to fact check you. And so I think there's like this whole sort of thing going on here, but it definitely starts off like in the mind with the relationship you have with yourself and to those closest around you first. That's where it begins. Yeah, it's absolutely. Part. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we've had a, had a great talk so far. I want to be cognizant of your time. So we'll get about yes. 10 minutes. So I want to jump into the, the last segment here. Uh, jump into this little bit of speed dial rounds here. All right. Oh, so, uh, and then, then we'll wrap it up. We'll, we'll plug your book and uh, we'll wrap it up. So, uh, uh, so, uh, so your, your, your top pick, top word for 2020. Top word for 2020? Yeah, um, if you had to think of the one word. Um, preparation. Preparation? Um, so, so you've interviewed a lot, uh, lots of people, lots of billionaires, lots of uh, best-selling authors. What is the, your favorite quote that you've received or that you've uh, observed out there so far? That's relevant oh, to the time. Damn, man. Um, okay, I would say this. Um, a quote or from quote. yeah, a quote from Jamie Wheel. Um, what are you pretending to not know about yourself? Oh, that that, that is very relevant. That is very relevant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is uh, uh not not your book, but what is uh what is your favorite business book of all time? Uh, that's another tough one. Ah oh, man. Uh, for those of us who read Christ. a lot. I don't know if it's a business book, but I think right now one of my favorite books is um, this book by uh, Mark Manson. It's called Everything is Fucked. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> I like that one too. Um, Killer book. Uh, name drop uh, Name drop a couple of people that have had like the biggest impact in your life and and how. Um, my mom, because um, like I think honestly a big reason why I, I ended up not becoming a statistic was because my mom so, and my parents, both of my parents supported me so much. Another person who changed my life, um, probably this guy named Naveen Jain. He is, um, he's the founder yeah. of like the space company, healthcare company. And when I did his, um, when I did his, uh, his healthcare company, which is their mission is to make chronic illness an option. And when I did their product, I, I took their test. It completely changed my, my life. It changed my health life. And in turn, it changed every other area of my life, and it's what I recommend people now. So, yeah, that's that's one person. Oh, nice man. Uh, and and you've already you've already met so many, but uh, who's a top celebrity personality or CEO that you haven't met yet that you wish you could? Yeah. So um, so last weekend I interviewed uh, Jay Shetty, which was awesome. He's a great guy. Um, I think probably the number one person I want to interview. <sighs> Probably the number one person I want to interview is like, um, you ever heard of that rapper Logic? <laughs> yes, Logic. Yeah, yeah. Hey, love to interview Logic because like, just I watch like this Netflix special on his life story, and I listen to his music all the time. And I think he's one of like the few rappers out there um, that is I, trying I, to make I, music. I, I could, I could see how your two stories could intertwine easily. I could, see, I could easily, see that. Yeah. easily. Yeah, I would love to interview. It'll happen one day, so just stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, oh, he's one person. Dude, that that'd be awesome. Um, uh, what what's the best compliment you've ever received? And then uh, on the flip side, yeah. Um, what what's what's the worst what's the worst statement someone's ever said about you? So the best compliment I've ever gotten was probably uh, I was speaking at an event in LA a few months back, and um, and the event organizer's wife walked up to me, and she was like, 
you know, Mark, we invite speakers here all the time. Like I read so many books. I'm in like this business self-help world and all that stuff. And, and she said, like, I could really tell every word out of your mouth comes from the depth of the life that you had to live. And you didn't just read it in some kind of book or you didn't just hear it once. But these are actually like your ideas, thoughts, and words that you really believe. And so that's one, um, the worst thing someone's ever told me. I mean, dude, there's so many things. Like I get sh- people shit on me all the time. Like people like people call me like, oh, you have, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're some 22-year-old kid. How could you possibly, you know, tell me how to live my life and, and all this stuff and, and, and whatnot. But probably, probably that like when it actually comes to meaningful not negative remarks, but just criticisms. Um, I one time I had a family member tell me that I needed to not calm down, but they told me that I need to get better at switching my mindset in terms of like, like who I am in like a business meeting or who I am on a podcast is much different than who I want to be when I'm like having dinner with my family or when I'm sitting down with a, you know, loved one or a significant other. And so I, I mean, I, I mean, that is good to me. Like, that's awesome. Um, like, I didn't really take offense to that, but, um, but yeah, that's probably like a big one. That's been actually a lot of help and that's turned into a good thing. So. Awesome. man. you gotta take the, gotta <laughs> take the good with the bad. You gotta take the good with the of bad. Course, um, and then, uh, stepping in my shoes, uh, what, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you today that I failed to ask you? What, what did I miss? Oh, shit. um, I, I guess why, I guess why? Why now? Why now? Screw being shy. Why now? Because there are hundreds of thousands of people killing themselves. And there are so many people who, whether they want to be leaders, whether they want to start their own businesses, whether they just want to do well at their company as an employee, so many of them can't be themselves in front of other people, not even because they don't want to, but because their nervous system isn't letting them. And I don't see anybody addressing this in the current market with a science-based approach that actually works and also backed up by like story and the human experience. And so that's why I wrote this book. Super, super simple. It's a short to read book. Um, very easy to read. And, uh, and then even people who don't necessarily struggle with being shy or being socially anxious, there are definitely a few chapters. If you read in here, I'll definitely give you some perspective on life. And so like, again, on um, but I just needed to get this book out there as soon as possible because there's a lot of people suffering and there aren't really any solutions that I've found except for the things that I had to just find by my own uh, yeah yeah awesome man um, and then last question um, what do you do in the daily daily habits to keep yourself dialed in um, I always eat clean I always exercise I always meditate I always write my thoughts down. What is what? What's your like? You absolutely must do. Like you have like, like a checklist. Like you have to do these things. Period. Yeah. So probably I would probably say three things. Probably uh, food. Probably number one. Um, number two is um, some sort of meditation. It's so like for sure. Sometimes there are moments where I can't meditate on a day or something. But there are a lot of things that I've learned. Um, when it comes to regulating my emotional states in terms of my breath, in terms of different breathing patterns, in terms of like doing this thing called the peripheral wide eyed gaze where you do a breathing while you're like walking or driving and you have your eyes completely open. And it does the same thing as meditation, like on the days where I'm busy. 
Number three, probably sleep. And if I don't sleep well, then I'm probably going to take a nap in the middle of the day. Those are three things that are a must for me. Oh, nice, man. Excellent. I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you being on the show. Um, you guys, connect with Mark Metry on LinkedIn here or, or, or wherever you uh, connect with people. Um, and then also check out his book, Screw Being Shy, uh, March 14th, available on Amazon. And yeah. you can find out more info at markmetry.com. Yeah, markmetry.com. That's cool. it, man. Kyle, cool. thank you so much for having me, bro. Of course, You're the man. Best. Of course, man. I appreciate it as always, man. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. And uh, have a stay safe out there with coronavirus. Put, put a mask on, put some gloves, don't shake people's hands. Yeah. Avoid large yeah. crowds. All right, guys. Yep. Yeah. Right, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate you. The views, information, or opinions expressed on this show are solely the views of the individuals involved and do not represent the views of any third party whatsoever. If you found value in today's episode, please consider sharing with a friend or leaving us a review on iTunes. It is the only way that we grow. For more info about the show, follow hashtag dialed in live on social media or check us out on the web at dialedin.live for full detailed show notes and information about our guests. Charles Darwin teaches us that it's not the strongest that survive, nor is it the most intelligent that survive, but the ones who are the most adaptable to change that survive. So keep yourself dialed in and become the most adaptable to change. You can do this.